Trish and Rob McGregor welcome you to a place where all kinds of phenomena flourish. Voices whisper, ancient secrets, signs and symbols are abundant. UFOs, ETs, ghosts, and even the dead move about freely. Here we meet authors, researchers, and investigators of the mysterious, the strange, and of the inexplicable anomalies that surround us. Step out of the everyday world and take a journey into the mystical underground. This is Trish McGregor and Rob McGregor and our tech magician, John Posey. You can go to our website, phenomena111.com, to find out about our nonfiction books, including the most recent one, Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Abilities. And you can visit our blog at blog.synchrosecrets.com, where we make regular posts. Our guest today is Pam Grout, New York Times number one bestselling author of E squared, nine do-it-yourself energy experiments that prove your thoughts create your reality, and also many other books, including Thank and Grow Rich. And now she has a new book out called The Course of Miracles Experiment, a starter kit for rewiring your mind. Pam is a freelance writer who has published with Science Americans Explorations outside Men's Journal, People Magazine, Travel and Leisure, and many other publications. She's the creator of the TV series Going Rogue and the self-described wacky proliferator behind two popular blogs. Her current focus is the 222 Foundation. She started to honor her magical daughter, Tasman, who has been guiding her from the non-physical since October 15th, 2018. Welcome, Pam. We're so glad you came. It's so great to be here, especially to connect with you guys after all these years. So right, it's yeah. great to be here. Yeah. And I wanted to tell you, Nancy Picard sends you hello. Oh, <laughs> I, great. Yeah, I told her you were going to be on today, and she said, oh, tell Pam hi. <laughs> <laughs> I want to mention that I met Pam years ago when she uh, was a travel writer, and Trish and I were leading adventure tours for freelance writers to South America, and Pam joined me and other freelance writers on a trip in the late 1980s to San Andres Island and Providencia Island, a couple of tropical islands that most people have never heard of. They're part of Colombia and located off the coast of Nicaragua. Uh, That was a fun trip, and uh, Trish, I think, is sorry she missed that trip. Yeah, I think I was pregnant. That's why I missed it. Yeah, that was a great trip. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm grateful that you joined us here at the Mystical Underground today, Pam. Uh, maybe we can start off by talking about the importance of gratitude. In fact, uh, how does that uh, play into your life? Yeah, well, I've had a big focus on gratitude for a long time. In fact, I wrote a book called Thank and Grow Rich, which, of course, is a takeoff on uh, Think and Grow Rich. Right. But um, what ended up happening for me once I shifted into more gratitude my entire life change. And I think it's just a really important way to be. It it puts you on a whole different frequency in life and it just makes things come to you in a whole different way. But um, anyway, so I wrote a book and it was called God doesn't have bad hair days. And I love that book. (laughs) It was a great book, but anyway, it went out of print, you know, maybe 10 people bought it. And I mean, those 10 people loved it, but nonetheless, (laughs) you know, maybe 10 people 
So I really started after that book came out, I, I decided to just forget about it. And I uh, ended up writing three books for National Geographic. But I always loved that book, you know, the one that sold to 10 people. So <laughs> by that time, my gratitude muscle had gotten so big. I mean, I was always, you know, talking about gratitude. I was always focusing on gratitude. And so um, I repackaged that book and sent it out as E-squared. And then, of course, it ended up becoming this huge international bestseller. And the only real thing that was different, you know, because the book was basically the exact same book, um, but I think my gratitude channels had been opened. You know, I hmm. I was focusing more on what can go right instead of what can go wrong. Right. Was getting up every morning. I started what I call this AA 2.0 program. It's kind of this funny thing. And, the, you know, the idea there's the, the first AA that has 12 steps. Well, my AA 2.0 has two steps because I'm all about <laughs> smooth and easy. And the first step is I'd get up every morning and I'd say, oh, something amazingly awesome is going to happen to me today. And that's where the AA came in. So I'd say wow. that. You know, it's a little affirmation, something amazingly awesome. Later, my daughter went on and my daughter and I went on to do Brilliantly Bodacious. And we went through the whole um, thing of the alphabet, you know, um, <laughs> extraordinarily epic and, you know, on down through the alphabet. But anyway, so it starts out of something great's going to happen. And then the second step of that practice is I have this what I call possibility posse. And every morning we text blessings from the day before. And so I've always been big on gratitude. But with this particular practice, you have to report in something completely different every day. So I feel like I am sort of like Lewis and Clark, you know, I'm out there exploring, looking for things to be grateful for, because I have this little possibility posse that's expecting me to, you know, report in with this miraculous, you know, growth <laughs> thing that happened from the day before. So anyway, I would say that particular practice just changed my life in a way. So, um, that I guess I do talk about gratitude a lot and, and I'm a student of a course in miracles and they do talk about that. Like, when you're living in gratitude, you're actually living in a closer reality to what's real. Because, you know, our minds start creating all these problems. I always talk about problem state versus possibility state. Mm -hmm. But when we're in problem state, you know, we're just always looking at we need to fix this and we need to do that. And, you know, we're constantly looking for what's wrong. And so when you live in possibility state, you're always open to what could be, what could be possible. So it's just a cooler way to live your life. It's just a way that makes your life happier. You know, why not go, um, you know, pick, pick out the best way. You know, I always, I always say like, you know, you don't go into, you know, a department store and pick out the ugliest outfit and carry it to the <laughs> counter, nor do you go to a restaurant, you know, and, oh, I hate this dish. I'm going to order that. But when we look at our thoughts and what we put our attention upon, we put our attention on the ugly outfit or the, you, mm -hmm. know, you know what I mean? We're not putting our attention on, on the best things in life, the, the you know, the part that really could make us happy. So anyway, <laughs> that's just well, that's my great. Right to that gratitude. Yeah. Explain this possibility posse. I love that idea. They're kind of like your reality check with gratitude. Yeah. Well, I've got a couple what I call possibility posses. It's a group of people that get together and talk about what's going right, not what's going wrong. I mean, there's about a million groups of, you know, wanting to fix things and do uh -huh. this. This is a group where we literally get together. We talk about quantum physics. We talk about law of attraction. We talk about great things that happen to us. So the, the phone texting possibility posse is one that focuses on the gratitude, but I also have a couple that I meet with, like when I'm in town and now I've been in town for, you know, five months or whatever. Months. It's been. So, 
anyway, I would get together with one of these groups, you know, twice a month. And then the other group, we would literally meet every day. So when I'm in town and it's not like I'm the leader of it, it's just, it's a group of friends. Uh and We're all focused on the same thing, you know, trying to, again, be grateful and trying to, you know, find the best in life and not Mm -hmm. be, you know, fixing all these things. Again, there's lots of groups. You can go do that if you want to do that, but (laughs) we're into, you know, (laughs) celebrating what's going right. You know, uh, when I, I first found your book, E Squared, probably, I don't know, right after it was published, and I immediately grabbed it, took it home, then I ordered my daughter a copy. And that book and the Abraham Hicks stuff has been kind of her path. So when I told her, I said, we're going to talk to Pam Grouch. She goes, oh, my God, tell her how much I love her books. <laughs> <laughs> so you've oh, got fans really all fun. over the place. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the um, other day, you know, now we're all Zooming and, you know, talking on over computers. I had a, a twenty a woman that was turning twenty one and it was her birthday party. She lives, I think, in New York. And her sister goes, you know, my your number one fan was, you know, really loves your books. And she happens to be turning twenty one. This is like Friday. She goes, is there any way you could zoom into her little birthday party? <laughs> well, it's kind of fun. I got to talk to somebody, you know, on her twenty first birthday. I'm sure if it had been a regular time, she wouldn't have wanted to hang out with someone my age. But nonetheless. <laughs> Well, now you're okay. The idea I've never seen your particular take on how thoughts create reality. I mean, it goes back to the Seth material, Abraham Hicks, and some, you know, earlier New Age thinkers. But what I found unique about E squared is your take on the nine experiments you created. Now, tell us about experiment two, the Volkswagen Jetta experiment. I love that one, and I love experiment four. Yeah. Well, okay, the the whole idea behind, like you said, these principles are nothing new. I mean, they go back as far as the Bible, asking ye shall receive. I mean, these are old principles. But what was different about this book, and I think the reason it became this huge bestseller, is that I was asking people, don't take this on my word. Don't just because someone tells you this is true, go and see if it works for yourself. And so I literally set up these nine experiments, complete with lab reports and sheets and everything. And it's like, this is a real science experiment. I mean, with a science experiment, you can falsify it. You know, this doesn't work. So I'm not saying this does work. I'm saying, give it a try. So I think people really enjoyed that. But the second one that I think you're talking about is the Volkswagen Jetta principle. Is that the number two one? Yes. And so what it was, I told people to pick out something, um, to, to, that they're going to look for a particular day. And I, I, I mentioned the example of a Volkswagen Jetta. Like when you first decide you're going to buy a particular car, you think, oh, I'm going to be the only one to drive this car. And before you know it, you realize, my goodness, there's hundreds of these cars out there. So that's <laughs> kind of what happened. That's why I called it the Volkswagen Jetta principle. And basically what it says that, you know, we're going to see whatever we put our attention upon. And so I'd have people look for white feathers or, or look for, um, you know, red hearts, whatever you could pick, whatever you wanted to. And the stories that I heard were so funny. I mean, one of the things I mentioned was green cars, but people would get creative. Like one person said, I wanted to see a car that was red with yellow polka dots. And sure enough, she sent me a picture of this, I think it was a Volkswagen Beetle that had been painted red with yellow dots. So it's like, no matter what you say to the universe, hey, I want you to show me this. But what happens when you start looking for something, then you start noticing it. And I really believe we are connected to everything in the universe already. But what we draw into our, you know, our field of awareness is what we're putting our attention upon. So we we, um, literally coagulate into our lives you know, something we're already connected to, but then we begin to see it. So that's kind of how I, uh, I uh-huh. see it. But you asked about number four, 
Um, the abracadabra. What number four is. That was the abracadabra principle. Oh, okay, that's where yeah, you magnetize into your life something that you right. make an intention, and then you you know that you will see it. Um, with with the first one, it was more like you just notice that wow, I'm thinking about this, and then you start seeing a lot. The other right. one, you pick a specific thing that you want to magnetize into your life. So that was number four. Yeah, that was uh, you focus on whatever you focus on expands. Exactly. Yeah. I'll write down things you want. I had an experience uh, with uh, number two, the Volkswagen Jetta experiment, and it actually involved a car. Uh, in that, um, I was uh, on a trip down to Miami from uh, Fort Lauderdale, where I was living at the time, and it was. With two friends were taking I was taking to the airport and we got into this uh, metaphysical spiritual conversation and along next to us comes this car and uh, one of the persons points to it look at that uh, uh, license plate it says Je uh, Zen 665 wouldn't it be interesting if we saw <laughs> Zen 666 not two minutes later there it was <laughs> uh, oh that's the awesome <laughs> That's a good synchronicity. I love that one. Yeah, I've heard so many fun stories. The cool thing about this book is I encourage people in one of the chapters to send me their synchronicity stories. Uh -huh. So I have gotten, I mean, literally millions of emails over the last, I guess the book came out in 2013, so the last seven years. And they usually start with something like, you are never going to believe this. <laughs> yeah, right. And they'll tell me their story. And I mean, oh, my gosh. E cubed, which was the follow-up book to E squared, I have a whole chapter. It's called Well Duh. <laughs> and it tells all these different stories from all nine of the experiments. And it tells, you know, different things that oh, people wrote cool. into me, ranging from, you know, getting a ten thousand dollar car. I mean, they just are across the board. I mean, just the most amazing stories that I heard. It it it, it definitely um improved my belief in it. I mean, I already believed in it, but after hearing all the stories, yeah, you know, it's like, wow, how can you even doubt this? Yeah. I always avoided um, reading The Course of Miracles because I mistakenly thought it was a religious book. But you've in, reinterpreted the 365 lessons so well. Um, what, what prompted you to write this book? Well, it's interesting. In the beginning of 2018, on January 1st, I, I go through the lessons every year. I start January 1st because, you know, a lot of people around the world are doing them, you know, in a uh -huh. one, one through one, 365. So I decided I was going to blog. You know, I have a lot of people that follow my blog that, you know, follow me on Facebook. So I thought I'm just going to blog about my own journey and Course in Miracles just because it was something to do. And I've always mm -hmm. been a big blogger ever since, you know, E-Square came out. So anyway, I was blogging about it and I was literally every day, hey, here's my course lesson. Here's what's happening. And I started getting so many emails. You need to turn this into a book, blah, blah, blah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I heard this. You know, you hear something a hundred times. You go, mm -hmm. oh, that could be a sign. <laughs> I mean, it took me yeah, a little think. while before, but then, you know, I heard it enough. And so sure enough, I put together a proposal, you know, sent it off to the publisher of my last four books. And they said, sure, let's publish it. So that's kind of how that happened. Hmm. Yeah, it's very, it's really good. Oh, thank you. And I love the stuff in it at the end where you included Taz's, um, little list, I guess. Oh, right. Yeah. She made that for me. You know, the, the colorful poster, uh -huh. she, um, made that for me Christmas of, uh, 2017. And so that's one of my favorite little things. I mean, she made a whole calendar and then each page, like it'd be joyful January or something like that. But uh -huh. on the very last page was that thing that I put on, you know, put in the book. Uh, my publisher was, you know, willing to do that. So anyway, yeah, it's kind of fun. 
Well, you know, to me, the, the loss of a child is a parent's worst nightmare. How, how did you get through that? Well, I wouldn't say I'm through it. I wouldn't say you ever get through it or that you ever get over it. You learn how to carry it. Uh-huh. So, I mean, I still have, you know, I don't, th- like I said, I don't think you get over it, especially, mm-hmm. I mean, she was my only child. Right. She was my, you know, best friend, my true love. I mean, everything about her was just so special. So I don't expect that I could ever get over it. But what I have done and what does help me is really being connected to the bigger story, the bigger Mm -hmm. reality. As the Course in Miracles says all the time, you know, we're not really bodies. You know, we're so much more than these little physical flesh suits. I mean, we are connected, again, to this big cosmos out there. And so when I focus on that story, knowing that I will see Taz again, Mm -hmm. knowing that I still get signs from her, knowing that she's still here, just not in body form. Right. And according to the old story, it is the uh, every parent's worst nightmare. And I would say it certainly would have been. I used to say all the time, oh, I could handle anything, but I could never handle losing my daughter. I mean, I used to say that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this did happen. And I really kind of expected that during the first year, it's been, you know, about 18, 19 months now. And I really thought, oh, I was going to go, you know, within the first year. <laughs> I mean, I really did. I just, you know, thought yeah. I would. But um, apparently I'm meant to be here because I am still here. <laughs> So, you know, good evidence. Pardon me. (laughs) That's good evidence that you're still here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I am. I'm not 100 (laughs) percent sure. What what are the things I talk about in that Course in Miracles book? It's like that Colonel Schultz from Hogan's Heroes. (laughs) I know nothing. That's one of my great (laughs) spiritual practices. I know nothing because the less I know, the more is possible. You know what I mean? If I, once I decide something is true, you know, we animate into our life, whatever we put our attention upon. So if I think this is true, then, you know, it becomes true for me. So I like the story much better that Taz is still here with me in spiritual form and that I'm still connected to her in a bigger, you know, cosmic way. And some nights I'll go out and, you know, throw a blanket on the ground and I'll just, you know, stare up at the stars and, so it just really helps put everything in perspective when you realize really how small we are compared to the whole big giant everything that's going on, and it just um, you know it's just helped me to to put it in perspective that way and to know that I will you know see her again. Uh-huh. Have you had contact? Uh, uh, excuse me. Have you had contact with her through like uh, synchronicities or uh, you know amazing coincidences? Signs or. Well, I'll tell you a really cool thing. We had a um, a little ritual that we did on the first of, of every month, like January 1st, 2nd, or January 1st, February 1st. Whoever would say hedgehog to the other one first would be guaranteed a lucky month. That was just a little thing we did. I don't know where it came from. We started when she was in junior high. And then it got to be when she was in, went off to college. Of course, you know, college kids stay up. So she'd always at 12.01, hedgehog, you know, May 1st. <laughs> So then she went off to Europe and, you know, lived over there after college. And again, she's seven hours, you know, she's in Barcelona, seven hours, eight hours, whatever it is um, ahead of me. So she'd always, you know, get it first. So after she passed, it had been about four or five months, but um, a hedgehog came to me in kind of a weird way, a weird story. And from that point on, every single month on the first day, I will get some kind of hedgehog for example here's one that happened in may i was doing an interview like um like we're doing now uh, only it was on zoom and um 
this this woman lives in Maine, and she, and in her backyard while we were talking, this hedgehog <laughs> walked into her backyard. She said she's never seen one before. She's never, I mean, you know, whatever. But so that's that's just one story. That's I great. mean, one day I was going to a friend's um her granddaughter's first birthday party. So I walk into the toy store and I go, Hey, uh, you know, what's the current cool toy for a one-year-old? And she leads me over in the store and it's this, these stacking hedgehogs. So <laughs> it's in really strange ways, That's but um, you know, every first of the month since for about the last year, she's huh. been sending me a hedgehog. So that's a real specific one. Yeah, that is. I also, you know, we started the 222 Foundation. That's another story because she and I had a thing about 222. Readers, you know, I've got readers from all over the world. They're always sending me their 222 um, uh, stories and their pictures and things. So literally, I'm hearing from people that feel connected to Taz. I mean, I just feel like I hear from Taz and I feel like people all over the world are connected to Taz. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, again, because I know nothing. I don't know what's what's happening here, but... Um, but well, anyway, I think I, uh, I think I told you that when I read the thing about two two two, I thought, oh, okay, I got to ask Pam about this. Then I looked down at my Outlook, and the number of emails is two two two. Oh, cool! <laughs> I thought, okay. Yeah, no, those kind of things happen. The other day, somebody sent me a license plate, and it said Taz. Two, oh my two, God! Two, two. It actually had four twos on it, but it, nonetheless, it was Taz two 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 two. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, just that that kind of a thing. Oh. Those are really, those are great. <laughs> John, did yeah, you? Have they, they make me feel happier. Like when I hear from her friends, like every year on Mother's Day, I mean, we've had two Mother's Day so far. The first year, her friends all took me out to eat, which is really sweet. Aww. And then this year, because, you know, we're all in quarantine, they, they did a little <laughs> car parade in front of my house and I wasn't expecting it. And on their <laughs> birthday, they all went and got a tattoo, you know, either with her handwriting or two, two, two oh, or something, you know, in her honor. That's wonderful. And so I got to have a little hedgehog tattoo that I did as well. So, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> John, did you have a question? No, I, I'm good right now. I'm, I'm, I'm still getting over uh, uh, Colonel clink or whoever it was i, I know nothing I, that's I, that's I all i got nothing, nothing. <laughs> yeah and i know that feeling <laughs> yeah sure. so as a, a pam as a travel writer how's this lockdown going for you in a quarantine <laughs> well to be honest i haven't traveled at all and i've had several events canceled like i mentioned i was supposed to be at omega institute up in upstate mm -hmm. new york this this week um so you know i just I, I don't know. I just haven't done any traveling. In fact, really, since the quarantine, I haven't been doing that much writing. Last, I've got a few blog posts here and there. You know, the book came out in January. And so I've been traveling, giving talks and whatnot. And so then the pandemic hit. So I just kind of, I don't know. I've just been, I think I'm in sort of waiting mode. I've been talking to trees. That sounds a little <laughs> crazy. But, you know, really trying to wait for my next marching orders. And I'm not exactly sure what it's going to be. A couple of things are starting to come in. But um, again, I've been just really being open to guidance and, you know, hoping to be shown because uh -huh. I believe that the best things in life are when you don't, I know nothing, when I don't make up the, the, my mind, but spirit shows me, hey, this is the thing to do. This is where you need, right. you're needed next. And I'm kind of doing more of that thing, like whatever's right in front of me right now, this is what I'm meant to be doing. So, so anyway, I'm more in that sort of a mode at the moment, but no great professional <laughs> stories to report or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We have a cat on the table here. And she heard your voice and she came up here. Oh. <laughs> um, 
we had another question. Oh, I know. In E cubed, uh, the experiment number two, the red pill corollary, you have a wonderful story about author Sue Monk Kidd and a bee and a stunning synchronicity. I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, that's a really fun story. Um, Sue Monk Kidd was a nurse and she used to write essays for a magazine called Guideposts. I don't know if you're familiar. Oh, right. Yeah. It's kind of Christian kind of thing. Uh -huh. She's definitely changed in her uh, viewpoint since then. But anyway, so when she, she always kind of had this burning desire to write novels. And so she, she'd written a chapter. Well, she read a, a little short story about a girl who had bees in her wall, which, of course, is, you know, what sets off the story and right. secret life of bees. So she took it to a writer's conference and the guy read it and goes, yeah, you know, small story, but not much potential there. You know, we hear this from people, these things. Right. So she put her writing dream aside and, um, you know, kept writing her inspiration, you know, her novel um, idea, put, put it aside and kept doing, you know, the essays that she was uh -huh. doing, kind of the Christian essays. But when she was, um, her daughter graduated from, from high school or college, I don't remember which one it was now, but anyway, they decided to do a trip to Greece. And she still kind of had that nagging desire, you know, I still would, I just still would like to write novels, but she kept thinking what that person at the writer's right. workshop said, hey, you know, it's a small idea, whatever. But anyway, so she asked, she went into this, um, this little holy place somewhere in Greece, and it was where there's a black Madonna. And she says, you know, she kind of puts out this, this plea to the universe, to whoever's listening, you know, I really would like some guidance, you know, I still feel like I want to write a novel. So she walks out of there and this bee kind of lands on her shoulder <laughs> and her daughter tries to shoo it off. And she goes, no, no. And then, oh, anyway, so the bee kind of followed them all the way back to the tour bus. And her <laughs> daughter at one point tries to shoo it off. She goes, no, don't you see? It's a bee. It's a bee. And that was the sign that she said she was on the right track, that she was going to go home. And from that point on, you know, she's written novels and um, has felt yeah. very you know, committed to that path that she always right. thought that she wanted to do. So, so yeah, the bees still the bee showed her the way. That's so great. Yeah, oh, exactly. Story. I love that story. Yeah, at the uh, Pam, at the heart of your Q books is the FP, the field of potentiality. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I call it the field of infinite potentiality, and okay. the reason being, I mean, some people might call it God, but as I say. That word has so much baggage, so much guilt, so much, right. you know, most people are like, oh, who needs it? In fact, one of the things I said in, in the new book, it's like, well, um, I have nothing against God. It's this fan club to which I take exception. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's but right. anyway, the point being that because there's so many different things you can call it. And I feel like the thing doesn't matter what you call. I mean, it doesn't even matter what you call it, but there is this field, this resonant field that's out there. And we tap into it with our thoughts and our beliefs. We are constantly in communication. We are constantly creating the world with this big giant field. That's so much bigger than we can ever understand. I mean, maybe somebody understands that I certainly don't, but anyway, we can tap in and I just like, that term, the field of infinite potentiality, mm. in the new book, I'll say you can call it the mothership, the dude. I also <laughs> call it the dude abides in these square. So I think to make it kind of fun, you know, then then people won't have all that baggage around the right. God word. But this the source, the source that's always wanting to guide us, that's always wanting to bless us, that's always wanting to interact with us. I feel that's what the field of infinite potentiality is. We're in constant communication. We're in this constant dance with this field of infinite potentiality. 
would would hmm. it be would it be fair to say that that's just trying to pl- trying to find your place in the universe, just trying to you know uh, uh, create kind of understanding your reality and your relationship with you know the just the universe in general is is that it or is it more something that pushes you in that that communication is something that pushes you in particular directions well i guess i feel like this field of infinite potentiality is always available available to us 24 7 now what happens is we don't always connect with it right so it's just acting out kind of our you know, unconscious wishes and desires, or it's, it's acting out our thoughts and beliefs. But whether, whether it pushes us, I do feel like it shows up for us sometimes, even if we don't believe in it. I have a good story um, about Michael Shermer. You guys want me to tell that story? Oh, yeah, we sure. know that boy. Yeah, yeah that's a pretty, he's a real agnostic and doesn't believe in yes, any he of this stuff. He's he even debated um, Deepak Chopra once on, on <clears throat> national television. You know, Deepak, of course, said, I believe in God. And of course, right. uh, he, his position was there wasn't, but so even though he doesn't believe in it, one time he had got he was getting married and his fiance is mm-hmm. now bride is from Germany, and um, her. It's a great story. Her grandfather had died, and so they had sent all of his things over to her. They lived in I think it was California, but they lived in the states, and so they're digging through his stuff. And he'd been gone for a long time, and she didn't really have a whole lot of relatives left. But they're digging through this, and they find this old radio that had been her grandfather's. And Michael Shermer thought, you know, this would be really nice. I'm going to see if I can get this thing working. So he, you know, pulls out these different plugs, and he does all this stuff. And he says, I even practiced percussive maintenance, you know, meaning he tried to hit it. (laughs) And he couldn't get it to work, you know, so he sticks it in a drawer in the bedroom. Well, on their wedding day, they're getting married at his home. And all of a sudden, she comes over. She goes, honey, did you hear that? And, and, and so there's this music coming from the bedroom. So they go into the bedroom and they're looking around. Did somebody leave an iPhone in here? Are the neighbors playing music? What's going on? It was that radio of her grandfather's and it played this love song, his favorite song. And it played it the entire day of their wedding. <laughs> it never worked again. Uh, and the I've... fact that Michael Shermer, this avowed agnostic uh, atheist, whatever, was willing to admit to this story. He says, I have no idea how that happened. And if somebody else would have told me that story, I would have laughed them out of the room. But it did indeed happen to me. (laughs) And so I have to acknowledge that. So I guess the point is, like, does it get to us even if we're not interested in it? Probably. I think it does. Yeah. I mean, that story, uh, he even wrote about that in his column in Scientific American, I think it was. Yeah. But then... uh, Two two years later, he's back to the old his old <laughs> self. <laughs> right? No, he hasn't. He hasn't given up his belief in that. No, for sure. but he did admit it for a short time. He had a little. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah, it, the it, field it, caught him briefly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, with the, with the field, your thoughts are really where your energy uh, goes. Uh, you focus on something, put a lot of energy into it. But if you broadcast this out and other people take it up and also promote that idea, it gains momentum and becomes something. But it expands. What, it expands. But what if it's something that all the research has shown really to be false? What I'm thinking about is mail-in uh, mail voting. Uh, there's a, a big thing out now that's being uh, promulgated about mail-in voting is dangerous, but all the research shows the opposite to be true. But 
so the, it's like the field of potential is promoting this idea because people are putting their thoughts and energy into it. So in a sense, the field of infinite potentiality is kind of non... It's a megaphone. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's not moral. It's not making decisions about this is right and this is wrong. It goes with the energy. Am I right? Yes, that's how, that's how I understand it, because obviously we are capable of creating, you know, big disasters out there, you know, <laughs> again, because where we put our attention and I think, you know, fear, I mean, to me, that's, I guess what the Course in Miracles would say, you know, fear is what creates a lot of these right. concretizations that we see right now. And so fear is going to create a whole different world, a whole different reality than the field of love. And so to me, the field of infinite potentiality is pretty much non-biased for the most part, but oh, I think it yeah. does resonate and work better with love. And, I, and yeah. in fact, I would feel like it, in some ways it is love, but it also does, um, you know, vibrate at whatever, um, you know, thoughts we're putting out. Fear is capable of creating um, things that, you know, don't look very pleasant. What the Course in Miracles would say that that's not even true, all those sort of negative things, we're, we're making that up and it's not even true, but we're continuing to see it because we're putting our focus there. But once we saw the way things really are, I mean, it's just like this beauty, this love. I mean, we can't even, we don't even have an idea of how beautiful everything is because we are creating these sort of holograms. Right. that we're seeing out there in the world. You know, we're kind of seeing our inner thoughts being broadcast out there in the outer world. And again, well, as we just said, if you have a lot of fearful thoughts and um, that you're going to, you can see some things that don't look terribly pleasant. Well, what would the Course of Miracles say about this pandemic? You know, <laughs> all, well, again, it wouldn't even, it wouldn't even be true. I mean, you know, forgiven, this will disappear is what the Course uh -huh. of Miracles says to any problem forgiveness will disappear and it's not forgiveness in the sense that we know forgiveness that's another word that has a lot of baggage mm -hmm. forgiveness basically means just like wiping the slate clean and how you're going to approach something like if you woke up tomorrow morning and didn't have any um vantage point or any ideas about what the world was like it could be completely different uh -huh. but we kind of get up expecting the same old thing so you know basically we're seeing the same old thing but we it, but but behind it all there's this other bigger story. And the Course in Miracles does say, too, that these miracles are going on even if we're not aware of them. Mm -hmm. So our biggest job, or at least I feel like my biggest job, is to just erase, that's forgiveness, all the things um, that would block me from seeing this light, beauty, joy mm. that is mine. Mm. Well, that was sort of how Louise Hay cured herself of cancer. Right. The same idea, you know, just forgiveness. Right. And as she said, you know, that ended up being the best thing that ever happened to her. You yeah, know, again, we sure make a did. judgment that, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. But I think this field of infinite potentiality can use anything that happens to create good. So I guess as far as the pandemic, I guess um, I do think it's shown us for sure that we can radically change things really quickly if we need to. Uh -huh. So it has taught us some lessons. It's had to slow down. I mean, I've heard stories about possibly affecting the climate maybe in a positive way when we're mm -hmm. all driving less. So I don't know. I mean, I think we're so new into it. We don't exactly know what's going to happen, <laughs> but, 
But anyway, I think good can come from it. And I hope it's a big, giant reset. That's my right. greatest, highest vision. Yeah, I hope so, too. Pam, your books have a lot of quotes uh, in them. Uh, are you uh, an inveterate uh, collector of these quotes? <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. There's, you know, every other page, it seems, has a very interesting quote uh, that you throw in there. Yes, I love quotes. I collect them. <laughs> in fact, I, I wrote somewhere, you know, some people collect salt, pepper, salt and pepper shakers. Some people collect hats <laughs> or whatever. I've always collected quotes. I just love them. I'm a writer. You know, that's my stocking trade. So, you know, writer's words, I, I love them. <laughs> yeah, when we did that in our last uh, book that uh, was published on Spirit Contact, though, the editor made us document every, every single one. thing. Where, what? Where was that? What page was it on? Uh, you know, it's just tedious going through everything like that. But you don't, you haven't had uh, that uh, that kind of editor, I guess. Well, no, it's funny because I'm on my third editor, Hay House, my fifth book. The first one I had, um, she's gone on to do other things. But she was like that, too. I didn't have to document pages where it came from, but I did have to identify even Abraham Lincoln. Former president of the United States. Yeah, I mean, right. so she made, yeah. no matter what it was, to me, some of these people are so obvious, you know, but she 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 demanded that. But interestingly enough, it must not have been a Hay House policy because this last book, they didn't ask for that. I just would put the name. Oh, I mean, that's yeah, that, that's so good. I guess, yeah. I that so the first like E squared, E cubed, and did she do the first three books? I think, yeah, she had this gal had edited the first three books, and she did require for me to you know, mention who each person was. And I mean, I can see some merit in that, but I'd never done that before. So it was a little bit of time, you know, that I had to go through and, you know, what exactly is this person's title? And, you know, just to make sure, but right. I never did have to say exactly where that quote came from. Cause that would be, yeah, uh, that was tedious. Yeah. But I think the basis of it is, is that there with the internet, there are some quotes that are attributed to famous people like Carl Jung that nobody can find where they've ever said it. <laughs> I know. I think that happens a lot. Well, you know, it's funny because originally, in, like I had put some Bob Marley quote in, of course, they're real picky. You can't put any song lyrics in. Right. Oh, yeah, so I was lucky charged. to find out that Marcus Garvey, yeah, he had said it before Bob Marley wrote it in the song. I don't even remember now what the quote was, but... Anyway, so yeah, I saw that you attributed to Garvey. Because <laughs> <laughs> Marcus Garvey did say it before Bob Marley put it in. You know, he was kind of the Rasta guy. The um, right Marcus Garvey kind of started that whole thing, or he was one of the thinkers that kind of got that whole Rasta philosophy going. So anyway, I was yeah. able to do that, but. Mm. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, tell us about your two 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 foundation. Yeah, well, again, it's such a. A shattering thing to, I mean, just such a shocking thing. You know, Taz just passed so quickly and it was just the last thing I expected. I mean, we're texting on the phone. We're going to go see Star is Born. And next thing I know, there's a policeman at my door and she was at LMH, Lawrence Memorial Hospital, and they were life flighting her to Kansas City because she'd had an aneurysm. So it was such a shock. Wow. And I think, you know, you're grabbing for anything. And so soon after her passing, it came up with this idea to start a foundation in her honor. And so, again, um, two Februarys now have passed. You know, she died in October. So the first um, year, uh, we, the 222 Foundation, we gave money to uh, a place in India. It was really interesting. I had been scheduled to go to India before Taz died. And then the, the trip was mm. scheduled for November. And I'm like... Oh, I don't even know if I can go now. I mean, this is just so devastating. 
But I called my old college friend who had shown some interest. I was going with this group called Tribes for Good, and they, they use social media, you know, to change the world. Uh-huh. And they had asked me to come. And my friend Mary had, you know, said she wanted to go, but it ended up being close to Thanksgiving. So she had said no. And so I wrote her, I go, Mary, or called her, whatever. I said, you know, I, I still, you know, I think I can still go to, and if you'll go with me, I know you'd express some interest. I know it's a huge ask, but if, you know, would you go with me? Well, she ended up going with me and it ended up being a good thing. But so in fact, okay, so we did the tries for good thing. And then we did, you know, the tourist thing. And of course we went to the Taj Mahal. Uh-huh. Um, and we thought first we want to do Taj Mahal. I mean, you know, India has so much, but we thought, well, you know, it might be the only time we go to India, whatever. So we went and I don't know if you guys have ever been there. Not to India. It no. is a magical spiritual place. And come to find out, the woman that this sheik built this monument to, her name was Mumtaz. Um, hmm. There were 20,000 workers, and it took them 22 years wow. to build the Taj Mahal. So there were all these two, two, twos. Right. I mean, literally, it gave me goosebumps. And the minute you walk in those four you know, because it's it's the same on all four sides. The minute you walk, you just can't help but feel this spiritual energy. I mean, uh-huh. it's the most remarkable place. I mean, there's a reason it's one of the seven wonders of the world. But anyway, so it was real apparent to me that I needed to leave some of her ashes there. So I did. Hmm. Um, and then, but anyway, so then we walk out of there and then we went to this little cafe. It's called Shiro's Hangout. And it's a bunch of women who... Um, who were disfigured by acid attacks. You know, in India, wow. sometimes the guys, you know, will throw acid on their wives because they didn't produce a male heir or whatever. You know, that's just a thing they do. <laughs> so you can imagine that's a pretty devastating thing. But so what this Shiro's Hangout does, these women that have all been disfigured with acid, um, they open this little cafe and they give away free food. They make tea. It's a little huh. coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And... You know, it's just a beautiful story. And so I ended up giving the first year's grant. Because every year on February 22nd, 222, I give a grant of, you know, $10,000 and $10,222.22. I mean, that's, so huh. this, that was like presented to me like, okay, this is going to be the first grant. And so I did that the first year of 2019. We gave money to them. And then the second year, last year, I took um, applications, you know, for the 222 fund. And I got like 100 different applications. And we ended up funding a school in Nepal, although I think it's put on hold. But it's going to be the Taz Grad School. We also planted 2,222 trees, you know, in honor of um, Greta Thunberg. Someone had suggested that thing. And then um, the third one was one that, a woman that was doing this random acts of money kind of thing. And she was leaving $2 bills. I mean, it's kind of a long story, but anyway, the whole idea behind the two, two, two foundation is it has three goals. And it says the first one is that a change in consciousness is our greatest need. That Mm -hmm. is our greatest need. And so we're going to fund projects that actually change consciousness. Um, We also um, projects that are creative projects that are literally changing the world with imagination. And I, we also say that we believe all people long to be creative. All people long to be generous. I mean, that's the truth of the world. You know, we've got this other story going on. So anyway, we fund these projects that actually support those notions that we need to change our consciousness, that creativity is the way it is, and that generosity is what we all really wow. want to be. And so these women, like just to give the first example, I mean, here these women had every reason in the world. I mean, they'd been in hiding before this happened, and they ended up, they come out, and I mean, they were beautiful. They radiated beauty, even though in conventional terms, you know, they probably right. weren't 
beautiful. So it was like, that's a change in consciousness. Also the fact that they are giving, they're not asking for anything. And people would, you know, give them money, you know how that is, but they're doing it out of the goodness of their heart. Like here, we want to help you. We're going to give you tea and coffee. And it's just this cute little coffee shop. So anyway, I felt like I was called there, you know, after mm-hmm. going to the Taj Mahal, which like I said, it's a monument to Mumtaz. So, I mean, how cool wow. is that? Yeah. So, so anyway, you carried her like, ashes. You carried her ashes. You carried your daughter's ashes with you to India. Just a little bit. Wow, that's really something. Yeah, yeah no. And I've left some of her ashes at a park in California. That's the two two hundred twenty two park two hundred park two twenty two in <laughs> California. A friend of hers, um, actually from grade school, longtime friend, wow. happened to work. She got, she was filling out some paperwork and she realized. My park is Park 222. It's a park <laughs> on the coast of California by Santa Cruz. And so we left a few ashes there, some at her university where she went. I mean, I've still got a lot of her ashes. I may eventually go to all the wonders of the world and leave some of her ashes. <laughs> but so anyway, cute. I mean, this is all, you know, again, this was such a shock. And I'm just, you know, trying to get my bearings and figuring out, you know, what to do with my life. So I don't, ha- I don't have it all totally figured out. But each year on 222, we are giving money away. And That's great. Uh, so anyway, that's that's the idea behind the Two 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 Foundation. Fabulous. <laughs> so the women whose faces have been disfigured by this acid are they are they like considered untouchables in? The oh system? yeah, there's such a caste system still in India for sure. Yeah. yeah. But yet and they I mean, literally, this. their faces. Some of them are melted off. I mean, it's really yeah. that that this is still going on is is you know definitely change of consciousness needed there <laughs> yeah right well it's incredible they came out and created this cafe yeah. that, they're so inspiring i mean these women are so inspiring yeah but there is a higher awareness higher consciousness uh centered in india as well so and and i guess that we, you can say the same about this country we have uh you know extremes as well Oh, isn't that the truth? Yeah, India is such such extremes. You know, such extreme poverty, such extreme wealth. Um, It it does seem to be a spiritual thread that runs through everything, even poor, rich alike. I mean, there definitely is a spiritual understanding. Like, for example, like in India, you know, I talk about my daughter having passed. And to them, it was more like they just understand that we're not really who we are, you know what I mean? We're right. not really our bodies. So they seem to be more accepting. We've got a pretty strong story, um, you know, in our culture, of course, that death is the worst thing that can right. happen. You know, right. Death has a very bad reputation, is one of the quotes <laughs> I wrote down somewhere. But um, but anyway, they just kind of look at things a little bit differently. So they do sort of see, um, see things just a bit differently in that regard. Like if they're having a really, um, and this is what their belief is, if they're having a really <clears throat> poor, poverty-stricken life, that could mean they're going to have a really great one the next time around. Right. You know what I mean? They see it a bigger cycle. You know, it's more than uh-huh. just this life. It goes on and on and on kind of thing. I mean, they have a real sense of that in their in most of their beliefs. And they have a lot more gods there, too. They <laughs> do have a lot of gods. I kind of like Ganesh. My, yeah. She, I don't yeah. know what if Ganesh is what Ganesh that's, is, but I like the, Ganesh. That's the elephant one, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Abundance. Yeah. Abundance. That's good. So let's switch the topic to... Uh, Weight loss, you have an interesting uh, section uh, in, I think it's E-squared, about uh, the that diets don't work, but uh, there's, <laughs> breathing a, does. there's other ways of uh, breathing is one. The, uh, this story, uh, this person who lost 100 pounds in one month, that's amazing. Yeah, that one even struck me as crazy. 
Um, and in fact, I've written a book before this. It's called Jumpstart Your Metabolism. And it's about the breathing practice and using the breath because, you know, most people don't breathe fully and that helps your cells work better. So I was already into that. But the idea behind this experiment is the fact that most of us, you know, we hate our bodies. We hate the food we eat. Or we don't hate the food, but we think, oh, I shouldn't be eating this chocolate cake. Right, I mean, right. we put a lot of fear. That's such a huge thing in our culture. You know, this whole... Um, oh, it's dangerous. I mean, we have this love-hate relationship with food. So what I encourage people to do in this experiment is to give that up and to just love your food, love yourself. And, you know, that may be problematic for some people, but at least give it your best shot on that. But the story I told is about Alan Finger. And it, it was in a, the story I ran into was in a book. It was about Alan Finger and breathing. And he's a yoga teacher. He's still around. And I talked to the guy and everything. And indeed, this is true. His father had gone to India and met some yogi and had told him to, um, I can't remember now. It's been a while since I read that book. But some sort of breathing practice to do something. And he lost, I mean, he just dropped all this weight. He just literally changed. Because like I was saying earlier, if we got up tomorrow and we had no preconceived notions about the way the world was, the way our body was, the way anything was, could things be completely different? I mean... Mm -hmm. Theoretically, that is the case. I mean, the thing of it is we do all wake up expecting kind of the same thing. You know, I love the story about Byron Katie. I don't know if you guys know who she is. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So she gets up every morning. I think she's totally living in the moment. I mean, she's definitely far out there. She just sort of woke up from the, the mass hallucination uh -huh. that we all live in. But she says every day she wakes up and she sees her husband. She goes, oh, my God. I mean, she's just so excited to see him. Because it's like this whole new moment. Like, oh, you know, just takes her breath away. And, I mean, what if we could all just do that? How cool is that idea? Yeah, the world would change quickly in that one. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Yeah, that'd be incredible. Yeah. Well, I heard another story along that vein just this morning. You know, one of my possibility posses met this morning on Zoom at 9 o'clock. But anyway, so this one guy was saying that, where he works, there's this, well, they don't know who it is, but somebody will go in and kind of take people's lunches that they bring. Oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like two co-workers said this had happened. You know, they went to the refrigerator at lunchtime to get their lunch. They opened their, and somebody had taken it. So on this particular day last week, this happened to him. And he decided instead of getting all upset, he went out and bought a big, huge thing of cookies for the whole office. <laughs> and I thought, you know, and for one thing, he said that would just make him feel better. And I thought, what if instead of every time something do somebody does something to us, instead of revenge, we go, oh, what could I do for somebody else? <laughs> world change in a minute. Oh, I, I just love that story that Ron That's told. a great like, story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everybody should try that. Yeah, yeah exactly. If, if we change could... the world in a heartbeat, if we'd all do that. If we could just convince Twitter of that. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's kind of true. Yeah, at this uh, yoga studio where I've taught for years, uh, we have a problem with uh, sandals uh, disappearing. People, <laughs> you know, uh, coming out of their yoga class and everybody's leaving, and there's no sandals left, or there's the only pair of sandals are not theirs, and so that that's been a thing with people just. Uh, bringing extra sandals to uh, <laughs> lay there as, uh, for people <laughs> in yeah. case he walks off with your shoes. <laughs> but just that notion in general, I mean, that's just a beautiful notion, you know? It is. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's perfect. Yeah. Oh, this has been great. Yeah, it's been good. Uh, Megan is going to be so jealous. Oh, you got to talk to her. <laughs> John, you have any uh, last question? I just, I need to go back and listen to the podcast and then I'll have some more <laughs> questions. So. Okay.
Yeah. So we can. Uh, 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 Pam, why don't you tell people where they can find you and I was just going to online? Say that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. sorry. <laughs> Well, one thing I do, I'm I'm really big into the gift economy. Like, I just want to give, you know, more. I, mean, I know we're in this profit economy, but I, I'm just, I really want to just give as much as possible. So I have all these blog posts that people can um, read for totally free. I won't even, I don't keep a list of people. I don't sell my list. I mean, it's just anybody that wants to, it's totally free. And that's at pamgrout.com. In fact, if you know my name, you I, that's my Twitter handle. That's my Instagram, that's my Facebook, just Pam Grout. So anybody okay. that knows that can find me there. But just for example, what I did on my website last week, again, I was going to be at Omega all last week. So I did this kind of like mini miracle finding workshop. So each day I'd say to people, okay, um, today you're going to, or this week we're going to expect in this little mini workshop, we're going to expect that a miracle will happen to us each day, that we are entitled to miracles. I mean, the Course of Miracles says if miracles aren't happening on a moment by moment basis, something's gone wrong. And again, that's that. <laughs> wow. So, anyway, and then so I had people write in with their miracles. And so it was just amazing, you know, all the stories that people, and people from Argentina, from South Africa, from mm -hmm. Australia, Scotland, I mean, all over, they were, so I felt like we were creating this resonant field of possibility all over uh -huh. the world. And again, huh. people were just all sending in their miracles. So, you know, I did that last week on, on the blog. So that's kind of a fun place to hook in. I mean, you can find my books on Amazon or any place you like to buy okay. books. I mean, they're they're kind of out there. So, yeah. yeah. All right. You well, can also get uh, ideas uh, for your next book. What are you working on now? Well, that's what I was saying earlier. I'm not exactly sure. She's waiting for a sign. How about the yeah, miracle? I'm, I'm kind of waiting. I'm possibly going to do a book about um, kind of like a tourist guide to the other side kind of thing. Maybe oh, nice. some book with Taz possibly. Um, cool. And then I've also, what was my other idea? Oh, okay. So I did this little thing. It's called the Ego's Playbook. And I did a, a short version for people that would buy the book early. They'd get this. And what it is, it's like all these different tools you know, like you, you want to know what the enemy thinks. So these tools of here's what the ego decided to do that it's going to take us away from heaven or, you know, from bliss and yeah. pure happiness. So the ego does this. It makes you think you're a body. So anyway, I just list like different things of the ego's playbook, you know, what it's done to take us away from from truth. So that's another cool. idea. So those are my two things I'm kind of working on. Have you uh, are you familiar with Whitley Strieber's book that he co-authored with his wife? after she died no uh -uh. it's called the afterlife revolution so you, you might want to take a look at that it's, it basically they wrote it together well that's <laughs> She's interesting the co-author yeah yeah so oh well good tip for me i'll have to i'll definitely have to look that out i've come to find out in fact it's interesting i'm doing a uh, a writer's summer writers academy with mark allen you know the guy that published right. Foley's book uh -huh. And so he's got four authors, me, Sark, I don't know if you're familiar with Sark, um, and a couple other authors, and three out of the four of us have all lost a child. Sark never wow. had a child, but I was just shocked when I heard um, one of the other writers, I wanted to hear kind of what they were doing in the workshop, so I tuned in last Tuesday and come to find out she'd lost her son. And I just think that's weird out of four authors. It is weird. Lost a child, but yeah, so anyway, she wrote a book about her journey with her son, and I think you know there are a lot of books out there like that. I had no idea until mm -hmm. yeah, but yours would be you know with your daughter. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Makes it unique. Yeah. Oh, you mean I can't write it with Whitley's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> with Whitley's wife. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe she'll come to me too. Yeah. <laughs>
Good talking to you. Oh, yeah, this has been great, Pam. And we'll let you know when it goes up and send you a link and all that stuff. Okay, Okay, sounds good. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Bye now. Thank you, too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Mystical Underground. Listen to the podcast at www.themysticalunderground.com. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Visit the blog, blog blog.synchrosecrets.com. Visit the book site, phenomena111.com. Send us email, podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical. Nigel knows it's done. He's yeah, Nigel, up now. St- Nigel stands up now. <laughs> He's a pretty smart dog. He is. Cats don't have a clue that we're done. Yeah, <laughs> you can tell y'all we're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, he stands he gets, up. He gets up, goes over to Rob. Yeah.